on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone from whatever nation, state, or emotional state you might be in. Dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight. And I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Professor Irvin Laszlo, who's a world-renowned philosopher and system scientist, the author, co-author, or editor of 106 different books that have appeared in a total of 25 languages. He's also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He's a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science and the World Academy of Art and Science. He's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and the recipient of various honors and awards, such as Goya Peace Prize, the SEC Mandir of Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and he's received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. And Fred Sow is a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle, and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. I like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience for whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, yet so many are not. It's challenging. Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing podcast and book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcasts, but to feel them, to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes, just our ears, because this is the place and the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness, and that's our comfort zone for the long term. So as I welcome today's exciting guest, Bruce Lipton, I'm going to dive into a subject that's part of the book title called Well-Being and how to find it within a science and spirituality that, while starting to work in tandem, is still in a kind of struggle about which voice is dominant. We're in quarantine quagmires, pandemic mixed messages depending on one's country. Is it a second wave, a third wave, a wall, or some now call it who knows what? Boosters after six months, after five, in some countries now after three. The protocols of this viral dance are constantly shifting, and while it keeps us on our toes... It's hard to keep tempo without stepping on toes. Leadership struggles about how to address all of this or sometimes redress it depending on impending elections. So the underlying vibe for many worldwide is scare versus care, the politics of pandemic. I want to talk about our global immune system and how to help it rebound from this very frazzled and fragile state. And as climate shifts force bedrock to shift, is shift and change the name of this new paradigm game, which demands a much more nimble, humble, and adaptable approach to shifting truths and sometimes multiple truths. 
So before we start, I'm going to introduce our dynamic guest today, Bruce Lipton. We are thrilled to have him. He's regarded as one of the leading voices of the new biology and bridging science and spirituality. He's a stem cell biologist and internationally acclaimed best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, as well as recipient of the 2009 Goyd Peace Award. In 1982, he began examining the principles of quantum physics and how they might be integrated into his understanding of the cell's information processing systems. His years of research at Stanford University's School of Medicine produced breakthrough studies and discoveries about cell biology and ultimately the mechanisms by which the mind influences the body, which presaged one of today's most important fields of study, the science of epigenetics. He's been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as keynote presenter at national and international conferences about leading edge science and how it dovetails with mind, body, medicine and spiritual principles. His new book, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here is available now. I am thrilled to welcome you, Bruce, to welcome you, Irvin, and to welcome you, Fred, to our new year of a new you. So, <laughs> let's Alison, talk about well-being. <laughs> Alison, let's I'm delighted, about... delighted to be here, and it's a wonderful, wonderful introduction you make. You know, there's only one little point, and that's an important point that I disagree with, that you said. You yes. said that Bruce is one of the leading biologists of our time. I think he is the leading biologist of our time. <laughs> Indeed. And for those of us that can't see him because this is a podcast, Bruce is cheering himself, and that's a great (laughs) energy to start on. (laughs) Just to say that I'm delighted to have this opportunity to exchange some views with Bruce. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, I I really mean that. We need people like him, and there aren't many. But even if those few that there are have to be put in contact with each other and put in contact with the wider public so that we can get benefits from the ideas. What I want to say is, is, is to, to start this discussion with Bruce is that how, how could you think of anything even more important than having a leading biologist address the problems of humanity? A biology is supposed to be a, a, a science of the, or, or the living organism. But the living organism is not just the living human body or any, any species body. The living organism is in a way the, connect, the collection of all the bodies on this earth. All of humanity is practically an organism. And we can think as in a sense in a, in a delicate evolving organism. All of the social and, and political and economic systems that you are building, they are part of the human organism and part of the organism, organism of life on earth. And this organism has to be treated as such, as a living being, instead of just being exploited and used for short-term edge, short-term ends. Unfortunately, if I would diagnose in, in, a, in a word or two the problems that we face, I would say that because we have forgotten that we are part of a larger organism, part of a larger whole, which also evolves and strives, can, could strive, but it could also, also suffer and become degenerate. It's all possible and it's in our hands, basically. We have to learn to live together on this planet as part of a living system. 
And the person who can explain that better than anybody else is our guest today, Bruce Lipton. May I ask Bruce to just say a few comments, a few words, so that we can start the dialogue. <laughs> uh, first of all, I so appreciate being here with you, Irvin and Fred. This is an honor for me because you are leaders and have been leaders of trying to create a new paradigm on this planet. The reason why we need a new paradigm from a biological point of view is the way humans have been treating each other and the way the humans have been treating the environment has led to what is called the sixth mass extinction of life. Five times on the history of this planet, life was thriving and some cataclysmic event wiped out up to 90% of life each time. And then it started all over again. The last mass extinction was 66 million years ago when the dinosaurs were here. A comet hit near the Yucatan Peninsula and wiped out 75% of life on the planet, including all of the dinosaurs. That's called a mass extinction. Right now, human civilization has experienced what is called now the sixth mass extinction. But the most important point about it is that it's human behavior. Our own behavior is undermining the web of life as if we were to separate or something from life. Like in the biblical story, like uh, God supposedly creates the earth and nature and then adds the humans at the end uh, like an add-on feature, uh, suggesting that we were separate from nature. And the fact is, no. We are nature. We are an element of, we evolved from nature. We cannot live without nature because it's all one giant living system. And the point about it is human behavior unaware of what it's done and that's power. The power of human behavior uh, is so powerful that uh, it's causing the web of life to collapse. Uh, they took a survey of how many animals were on this planet in 1970. The World Wildlife Foundation said, how many animals on this whole planet? And they recently redid the survey, and over 60% of the animal population has died off in the last 50 years. That uh, in a very short time, science has recognized there'll be no fish in the ocean because of human overfishing, polluting the water, destroying breeding grounds, again, human involvement. So the relevance is this. We have a choice to make. If we want to uh, continue the way we've been living, then it's recognized that industrial civilization, the one we're in, uh, will have an irreversible collapse within the next two decades. And this is research from NASA in the United States that reveals it's coming to an end because of our behavior. So uh, if we don't change, it's a very short time. Uh, in the next couple of decades, civilization is going to collapse. If we change, then we have an opportunity to thrive into the future. And what the whole idea is to learn from the mistakes of the past so we don't carry them into the future. And I say, how do you mean learn? I say, look at what's going on in the world today, the chaos. And I say, but there's a lot of things we haven't dealt with, uh, issues with women's rights, so the Me Too generation, issue with racial rights, so Black Lives Matter, issues with not dealing with the environment, so we have the Green Revolution. These are coming up to the surface to say we must deal with these problems on our planet so we can then move the whole thing into another level of evolution. And it's just beautiful because we are on track right now. This is why the collapse of what we see of our organized world is happening. And the reason is simple. We cannot build a sustainable civilization on today's cultural foundation. 
the only way to thrive into the future is to have the current situation collapse and build a new foundation for the future. Uh, and so uh, we're caught in the chaos of that. That means uh, that there's a, a civilization coming down. And with the help of people like Irvin and Fred, we're building a new civilization to take its place because if we don't, there's only a short time left. So um, I'm very happy. Uh, I see it falling apart. Most people are scared to death. It's falling apart. And I go, very good, because if it doesn't, we have a worse problem. So um, I'm hoping people wake up to the reality. We are on an evolutionary upheaval at this moment. This is what evolution is like. We're experiencing it right now. How to join it. How to be part of this evolution. This well, separateness that you talk about is really uh, the, the key issue, really. We treat ourselves as though we wouldn't be part of it, as though we would be separate. Yeah. And, and what the way we act, anything goes as long as it makes money, as long as it's technically feasible, and doesn't overtly break the law. You know? <laughs> then you can do it. And never mind the consequences. And that has brought us to where we are now into this to this dead end, which is also a transition end, the uh, dead end of the old, but is the beginning of the new. And to find the new, we need wisdom, we need science, we need intuition, we also probably need spirituality. But we need people who have a deeper insight. That's what we are trying to do in this series of podcasts. That's what you have been doing. That's why you are the leading exponent of this on the biological level. So how to find us, how to orient ourselves so we come back and become part of this evolving nature, not outside of it, benefit from the bifurcation, benefits from the instability and chaos that is being brought, as you say, and then use it as a stepping stone for a transformation. That, I think, is the challenge, and you articulate it better than anybody else. Well, thank you for that question, Ever. It's a very long one. I maybe 12 urban hours from here, but I, I, I could get into this uh, in, in a very simple sense, is that we live in a, a culture based on science. Uh, and that's when we look at the world and somebody says, is that scientific or it's not scientific? If it's scientific, it says, oh, this is good, this is true, let's follow it. Not scientific, we question. And I go, but now there's a problem. The science that we've built this culture on, the current version of science that the public is aware of, is totally incorrect. The, the, the idea that, uh, we live in a world, uh, a universe like the Newtonian universe, which means that they separate the universe into matter and energy and say there's, these are two separate things. And it's like, no, quantum physics in 1927 said, no, they're both the same thing. Everything is energy. And the idea about that is energy means everything is interconnected because energy has no borders. Anything that's here is energy, and energy has waves, and all the waves are interacting. So we have to recognize we are part of a fabric of everything. We're not separate entities on this planet. So the first mistake is to ignore the invisible, which is what we might refer to as spirituality as well. We can talk about that. So first mistake no, the universe is not made out of matter and energy. It's all made out of energy. It changes how we see each other in our connection. Second mistake, Darwinian evolutionary theory is wrong and totally dangerous. 
It helped us get to a certain point, but it's now dangerous because, Irvin, as you mentioned, uh, the rules in a Darwinian theory is survival of the fittest in the struggle for life. Well, then the motivation in life, according to science, is to survive. But the problem is they never put a means to an end. The end is to survive, yeah. But how do we survive? Well, as you said, uh, there are no rules. And as a result, anybody can do whatever they want. And the survival of the fittest, that fittest word, means the survival of the most powerful, fittest. Uh, and so all of a sudden there's a stratification that says who is the most powerful and that they are the ones that are, are going to control us. I go, this is all wrong. Darwinian theory is completely wrong. It's, uh, Darwinian theory is based on genetics, <laughs> that we were supposed to have more and more genes as we go up the evolutionary tree, and humans were supposed to have over a 100,000 genes to create this complex machine. The human has 20,000 genes approximately, which is the same number of genes as some of the smallest organisms on the planet. So the first mistake is evolution is not based on genetics. It now turns out that evolution is based on community that as we come together in harmony and community, that is our evolution. And unfortunately, as you can see in the world at this very moment, uh, the leadership of the world has actually taken us in the opposite direction. Not as it allowing unity, but it's providing separation. Separate yourself from your neighbors. Separate yourself and put your mask on. Keep away from each other. They lock down communities. And it's like, this is the opposite of evolution. As you mentioned, Irvin, Evolution is the coming together in community. Each human is like the equivalent of a cell (laughs) in the body of something that's being created. It's much bigger, uh, the body of something we would give a name to humanity. We are humans. We are cells in the bigger structure called humanity. But the problem is humanity at this moment is facing uh, an unfortunate problem, autoimmune disease. I go, what does that mean, autoimmune disease? I say, that's a fancy way of saying self-destruction, that civilization on the outside is going under a self-destruction inside our bodies. This is why we have a healthcare crisis all over the planet, because the disharmony in the environment is also affecting the disharmony in the body. And so as we destroy the environment, we're also getting sick at the same time and destroying each other. So... There's this wake-up call, and it turns out that we are more powerful than we thought because we used to think genes control who we are, and that's the medical story that people learned that, oh, genes control the character. You got your genes at the moment of conception from your parents, and then as you grow up, the genes turn on and off by themselves and apparently control your life. That's the story, and I go, but what's wrong with the story? And I go, that makes us victims victims of our heredity anybody got a complaint says oh that's my genes that's not me it's my genes are causing all these problems in life and it turns out false because we now know the new science of epigenetics is our consciousness is controlling our genetic activity so i don't want to go on forever on this but let me conclude very simply with this 1927 was the founding of quantum physics, and in 1927, one of the founding fathers, Max Planck, came up with a phrase. He said, the mind is the matrix of all matter. 
What he meant by that, and it was a theoretical foundation of quantum physics, is the mind is the matrix, the creator. The mind is the creator of all matter. This came in in 1927, day one in quantum physics, and today it's still the principle understanding fundamental nature of quantum physics. Consciousness is creating our experiences. And then I go, well, if consciousness is creating experience, then why are we creating all of this? And the answer is, we've been programmed. And it's a wake-up call now to take back our power. We are not victims. We are masters, except people have no knowledge. And uh, knowledge is power. A lack of knowledge is a lack of power. And people have been disempowered because they believe they are victims. And it's unfortunate because uh, the wake-up call is, no, you're a creator. And, uh, you know, Fred, Irvin, you two have been out there telling people for years about the same thing. But it now has to come into the public as a way of life. Not, you know, a few people out here that know the answer. The world needs everyone in the world to understand that we are creators and we've been programmed so that if we change the program, we can create uh, a future that is heaven on earth. That's available to us right now. Bruce, what you're saying really should be put into marble and, and, and read and kept like that. I think we are now we are at the point where we are beginning to understand through quantum physics, but also through our problems. So, so the very, so the pandemic itself and, and the climate change that we are strongly connected. We are all in the same boat. I think what we need to add to this, the insight that this connection is not passive. It doesn't just lead anywhere. It leads in a direction. We would say it has a vector and it's called evolution. Not everything is same, has the same benefit. Not everything has the same value. And we have to learn what are the right things, not in any moralistic, idealistic sense, what is truly right and correct in terms of nature, in terms of the universe. You mentioned a key word, and I'd just like to add another one. You mentioned community. We are moving towards community. We are programmed in a way to live in community. Aristotle said we are social beings, you know. Now we are discovering in the new biology, the new sociology, the new, new metaphysics even, that we are, we are communal beings. We are moving in the, in that direction. But that being that moves in that direction can also be described in, in science, as, as you're doing it, many others are doing. It is another term which I, I particularly like is coherence. We are moving in a direction of more and more complex systems that are, that are coherent still. When they lose their coherence, they disappear, they fall apart. They're moving out away from the scene of, of, of history. But the universe and even life on, on this earth is moving in a direction where life is expressed as coherence, as all elements working together to create that larger whole not only within the organism, but between the organism and other organisms, all life, it's either becoming more coherent or it leaves the sage. So there we are. Understand that there are norms. Not everything is the same thing. We are connected, but our connection has to be used so that we move in the direction in which evolution is moving. 
the force of evolution is this famous force of Star Wars, which says, be the for- let the force be with you. The evolution is the force that we need to have with us. Well, the, the word that you brought up is very important. Coherence is a really important word if you understand the new biology for this reason. The function of the mind is to create coherence between our beliefs and our reality. So if we have a positive belief, then the function of the mind is to generate behavior that manifests a positive response. If we have a negative belief, the function of the mind is to make coherence between the negative belief and the life experience. So the idea is we translate our consciousness into our biological experience. And and the job of the mind is to make coherence. Well, the problem is if the programs that we came from are not supporting us, and then you try to make coherence with using those uh, insufficient programs, then we create a life that's not in harmony at all. And so coherence comes in at at another level here, and it says we are uh, unknowingly making coherence between our programs and our beliefs and our reality. If people knew this, then here's the beautiful part. You can change the program. You could change the consciousness, and then the mind will make through coherence a new picture. And this is what, you know, you and uh, Irvin and Fred are really all about is wake up public. We have to really change. Where are you going? What, what is your belief about life? And, and our belief about life has been so far, we are victims. And victims means we are powerless. And the only way people have power on this community the only way we people have power on this world is community. An individual alone doesn't have power. But when individuals come together in a group, the group manifests power. And so what we're looking at right now is an evolutionary change in our consciousness, which will create a group of people with a new vision and the collective nature is to manifest the vision. So, uh, what we have to do is undo the, the Darwinian belief uh, that uh, this is a struggle, that we must fight each other, that one must beat the other, dog eat dog. That, that's wrong. That We have to understand that Darwinian theory is wrong. Actually, the theory uh, of life is from Lamarck from 50 years before Darwin. And he was the one that said humans and nature live in a lockstep interaction that humans and nature are part of the same fabric, the same entanglement. Uh, and so it, that behavior is different than Darwinian, which says, I must beat nature. The Lamarckian view is, I must be in harmony with nature. Uh, and that is the required movement of civilization at this time, is to get out of the violent competition, to be the fittest in a struggle, huh. That's the old story. And then when you add the new biology, epigenetics, it all of a sudden says, oh, my God, just what physics said. Our consciousness is going to change our genetics and our behavior to conform to our picture in our mind. So the idea is this. We have to wake the public up and say, the picture you've been living with, that's the wrong picture because that's the one that's causing the destruction. And, and that uh, I'm honored to be here because I know um, uh, Irvin, Fred, have a very important voice on this planet to magnify and amplify this story because evolution is based on, on consciousness and, and more knowledge, the more power we have. Uh, so it's time to 
create the uh, uh, a better book of knowledge for for humans to make a future that is quite different than the one we have. Absolutely true. Just to add to this, that this new biology, the new knowledge, the epigenetics, the new systems theory. This is not arbitrary. It's not something that we just think up ourselves. It has its basis in nature, in the universe. The whole universe is oriented toward coherence. From the Big Bang to 16.8 billion years ago, if that theory is true, but whenever it began, was in a chaos. Chaos in the real physical sense of it. And gradually it moves toward, toward higher and higher levels of organization, order, and coherence. And nature moves in that direction. Living systems, when they align with the evolutionary trend, and they become more and more coherent with each other, with the universe itself, then they thrive. So this, there's a norm. There is something more than just and there's something arbitrary. It's not we who find it out. Nature is telling us how actually universe works. And we need to read that. We need to get that norm and apply it in our own life and in on this earth so that we become coherent with each other, coherent with the web of life on earth. That's, I think, is what the great, great challenge before us. We can do it, but we have to turn to ourselves, not only to arbitrary instructions from outside, from authorities. We find in ourselves, I trust in that, in our deepest intuitions, our deepest spirituality, telling us we are coherent people seeking harmony. As Fred will tell you, the oriental mind has always been looking for harmony, has always been seeking it. And even today, the, the, the leadership in China and elsewhere in, in, in the East is oriented toward these ancient insights of the Tao, seeking the oneness, seeking the harmony. This is something in us. Jesus Christ taught love. And what is love if not the seeking, the search for harmony with each other, coherence with each other, you see. So I think if you can recognize that we are, have in us the impetus for healthy, positive, universal evolution, it's in us. You have to discover it, apply it, and not go off as of if we make our own laws, make our arbitrary laws, just work for ourselves, never mind the rest. We have to be part of this universal seeking, universal search for higher levels of integration, harmony, coherence. That, I think, is the great teaching that you represent, and there are a few biologists who do that, a few, a few cosmologists do that, and the fact that you take it from quantum physics is so wonderful, so necessary. Over a 100 years ago, James Jeans, a cosmologist, astronomer, said, <clears throat> the universe is more like a big thought than like a big rock. Absolutely. Absolutely. A 100 years ago, <laughs> we better learn that, and we are part of that thought. I, I am so excited because um, this is the kind of information that changed my whole life from being conventional. I, I was teaching in medical school uh, the nature of uh, the biological mechanisms, cells, and all that stuff. Uh, and it was really the awakening to quantum physics, which, uh, uh, when you understand it, then also takes the East and the West uh, and, uh, and brings them together. Uh, because the East has always been in a spiritual realm and the West has been more in a mechanical realm. Uh, but they need both of them to come together to make the harmony. Uh, and so th this is the big important point. The big point is this. 
we have been programmed to believe that the evolution is based on competition. And I say, no, that is the most destructive thing that has ever happened. Uh, evolution is based on cooperation. And I go, you know, we look at our human body and say, oh, look, there's a human body, a one thing. And I go, no, a human body is comprised of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. The human is actual definition, a community of cells. And and the point about it is the emphasis on the word community for a very simple point. When a body's uh, cells community is in harmony, we have health. But if you disrupt the community, then dis-ease is the consequence. So it's interesting because we can study and learn by just looking at the population. We have 50 trillion sentient beings, cells, that work in harmony to create us. And when we're healthy, the community is working beautifully. But disease is when there's disharmony in the system. And so you can see, interestingly, the health of humans on this planet, we're in a healthcare crisis. And I go, and simultaneously, we're in an environmental crisis. And I'm going, yes, the outside and the inside are connected. <laughs> and if we keep living out of harmony, then we keep getting less healthy. And then now this is why the healthcare crisis. So all of this evolution stuff will change the world as we see it. Because once we understand that we are the creators of our life, not the victims of our genes, then all of a sudden it says, then we can create what we want. <laughs> and I go, and most everybody wants the same thing. And that is peace, love, protection, a job, a food source. Uh, th- this, is, this is fundamental to everybody. And if we all started to create and manifest those things that we wanted, and let it, instead of a government of people telling us how to do it, that people started to build up and say, this is what we want. Then that's where the evolution comes from. Uh, and from the bottom up, from bottom the inside up. out. Yes. And from up and, and outside. Yeah. It's just the other way around. Because the, the top down, look at what the top down has done in trying to help us through this COVID period. Uh, they've upset the entire mechanism of the planet, uh, with supply chain problems and isolations and putting people away from each other and not letting contact and shutting down communication. All of that is anti-evolution. Uh, and this is why, um, we're, I'm waiting for people to say, okay, I've had enough of this. <laughs> Let's do something different because this sure as heck isn't working anymore. And that is the pathway of the doorway to make a future that we can all follow. Bruce, I think on the East, there are signs that there is a waking, a waking, which is actually recovery of an old traditional wisdom of the East, which is now entering into the governance of societies in the East, in China. And I think Fred is the perfect person to, to be able to talk on that. If you, if, if you have agreement, I'd like to ask Fred to go come in on this, on, on community, on coherence or harmony, how does the Chinese leadership think about all that? Well, you know, the quantum paradigm, uh, um, Urban, um, you uh, uh, talked about, you know, consciousness uh, create uh, uh, the appearance of solidity and form, and everything is uh, disintegrating and reintegrating towards better integration and complexity. 
Why is that so? Because in the origin of one, when it projected into uh, separation and integrating always towards one in the currency, it appears to be more and more complex. But actually, it is part of the evolution process, which is uh, you alert to. And there's always an evolution attracted to go back to the source. And in fact, if you can look at the universe, it's going to zero and going infinite at the same time. And so the more you go to the source, the faster it is to go to the infinite. And people always focus on going to infinite, but they forgot the origin, just like uh, Bruce was talking about. When it has an appearance of competition, and they thought competition is the real thing. But behind competition, it's about collaboration. It's about community. It's about communication. So the system becomes more coherent. It's always moving to coherency because in oneness, in the uh, holistic reality, it is coherent. And so that's the attractor to move them back to the song. And so uh, China also going to cycles. Uh, and China knows long ago, uh, like everybody else, including America, that the difference in worldview is a threat to uh, to conflict because it is the difference in worldview to conflict. So China also are pretty violent about unifying the worldview uh, from the Qing dynasty uh, that uh, actually to every dynasty thereafter, China always want to, uh, to control the worldview that is predominant and Chinese people has always followed. Now, from... Um, uh, from Mao, which is another turbulent time with a lot of voices and a lot of influence, a lot of self-doubt, um, he united China based on his thoughts, right? He called the, the Maoist version of Marxism, uh, but it's uh, actually uh, not communism, but a form of socialism. And that moved into uh, the Deng uh, Xiaoping the, uh, era and his uh, basic world white cat, black cat, those who can catch the mouse is a good cat. You cannot talk about anything if you're damn poor. So the first thing is, is development is the real thing. Everything for development. And then, yes, China developed very fast, and soon they found out they have an ethical issue. To follow the Western free market is a problem. Very quickly, you see China's, wow, you know, fake everything comes from China. And so they now adjusted the government and the new leadership says, well, you know, we, um, we are now out of poverty. We're out of poverty, extreme poverty, but we have a redistribution problem. We do not have flourishing with equality. The rich is getting super rich and the poor, yes, they're getting more wealthy, but in comparison, there's a problem with distribution. Now, this is a problem for worldview point of view. And so now the government is calling, actually since 2017 with this new leadership, he went to the United Nations and declared uh, his view. Uh, funny enough, this is very interesting. He declared his view towards the international community before he declared his worldview to the Chinese in 2018. And he says, for the... Uh, common destiny of humanity, we must revitalize our traditional Chinese culture. He said we have a cosmic view traditionally of oneness as our aspiration to achieve that state of oneness and to be aligned with the cosmos is number one. 
Then he says we need to have harmony and collaboration uh, in the international national state, and we must have uh, acceptance and collaboration in diversity. So we we must have that social uh, worldview, and then finally, a mind that is focused on achieving goodness as a foundation morality. Now this is very traditional Chinese stuff, and he says we must have confidence. We must have confidence ourselves because we are creating this Chinese characteristic socialistic market economy. This is different from the world. We must have confidence we can create it. We must have confidence in, uh, of course, the Communist Party and the leadership of the Communist Party. We have a, must be have confidence in our traditional culture that we're revitalizing. And finally, we have confidence in ourselves. He now declared that the most important thing now to establish China is the quality of, uh, of, our, of our citizens the quality of our people, uh, the culture of our people. Instead of building, building in the past a nation based on economic development, it's going to be based on cultural development and the quality of the citizenship. And so these are the new things. Then he proceeded to doing education reform and shutting down all those that are supporting this insane uh, thinking of industrial competition. He then starts shutting down business uh, platforms that he doesn't think that is in line with the benefit of society. Most notably, you see social media. You cannot sell people out. They are not something you farm on. So you can't sell data. So all these things are coming in this reform. So that is where China is going. China is decided, like as we know, culture is created from our worldview. China is decisively finding coherency in government policy to execute that worldview, to execute that, that vision of the building a country of culture based on this, a country of citizenship based on this. And then he calls on, uh, lately, they call the everything towards goodness. Capital trusts goodness, people trust goodness, and business trusts business. He called on business called the uh, the business to take responsibility based on goodness to redistribute wealth to create a collaborative flourishing of the whole population. Well, he's right because he knows that. We cannot rob the rich to give to the poor. It just kills all motivation. So what we need to do is guide, pressurize, and frame the business because market economy is the way to go. A socialistic market economy has social goals. And now he put it into an even bigger picture, have human goals. So he's trying to solve the sustainability challenge, the globalization, and the wise use of technology application using this direction and this methodology. So that's where China is going. Well, this, to me, uh, Fred, this is a, a, a very important and very wise decision at this time 
uh, uh, NASA, which did the research that said that industrial civilization is facing an irreversible collapse in the next couple of decades. And I emphasize irreversible. It's not like we're going to make it great again. No, uh, we have to collapse it and build the better one. Now, with China starting with a new foundation, this is a, an important contribution to all of this. Uh, uh, and the two points that NASA said were the driving force uh, uh, of this uh, upheaval that we're in right now. He said, uh, number one was uh, the use of Earth's resources, that um, we've been using the resources uh, up on the planet, and uh, most of them are not renewable. Uh, and the idea is we are eating up our environment, uh, and we need this environment, so we have to change how we live to not use so much resources. He also brought up the fact that NASA was that it was, as you mentioned, the unequal distribution of wealth on this planet where the poor people have nothing and the top percent has, uh, you know, most of it. It's that NASA said the, the resources and the wealth distribution are the problems that are going to precipitate the collapse of the current situation. Uh, uh, I really, uh, uh, believe that the, this is profoundly important in it, uh, because then look at the 99% of the people that struggle and the 1% that are, uh, even in this time of COVID, are making much more money than they were making before, that this does not create harmony in a system. In, in, in a biological system, we have to recognize a couple of things. Number one, there's a vision by economists that everything must grow every year. Every year we must have an increase in the product, the gross product of the country. And I go, this is biologically unsound completely. There's no organism that keeps growing and growing and growing. All organisms reach a certain size, and then it's after that is maintenance of the system, not growth. So when we keep pushing growth, we're, we're just taking more out of the system. It's not growth. What we need to do is balance and you brought this up, Fred, in understanding, yeah, let's work with the people and let's start creating some balance and harmony with the people down here at the bottom because that's what really keeps everything floating in the first place. So the idea, it's unsustainable to continually expect a gross product to increase a certain percent every year. Any animal that grows like that because of a mutation dies. They get big. They get on hand. It just can't work. It just doesn't work. So we have to say, wait, let's stop trying to keep making more profit, but let's just try to balance what we already have. This is the problem, I think. So the economy is off. And and in the biological system, I said, we have 50 trillion cells as a population, a community under our skin. They have an economy. There's money in the system. Uh, in a sense of energy. Energy is money. If you have money, you got energy. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Uh, and the idea is, how is the energy distributed in the body? And here's the, there are three levels. Level one, there's no wealth in a human body of energy until all of the cells get the basics of life. If every cell's got the basics of life, then any extra energy comes in as profit at that point. And then it turns out interesting because in biology, the energy is molecules called ATP, physical molecules. I say, so what? I say, well, energy is like coins, ATP. And I go, cells can only have so much 
ATP in their body because if a cell has too much ATP, it messes up the, the, the cell's function. So it says, oh, there's a lot of, uh, once all the cells have the basics, phase one of, uh, of the money, phase one, every cell's got covered, a job, health, protection, food, cool. After that, any energy made by the system, profit. I go, yep, cells can hold on to the profit. But then I say there's a limit to how much profit a cell can have because it's physical at this point. And then I say, then what? I say, what happens when there's more energy than that? And I go, then we store the energy, and it's called fat. Uh, and I go, what's fat? I said, it's energy for use for the entire system. If you break a leg, the liver doesn't say, hey, you're going to use my energy to fix the, the leg? Uh, no argument between the, the systems. They all work together. So the point about it is three levels. A, first, everybody gets basics. If everybody's covered, next amount of energy coming in, profit. And then I say that's profit until a cell can only have so much energy that the rest goes into the community bank, which is the fat in the body. And that's used for everything and everyone. If we designed a system based on that, it would generate the same kind of harmony that you could get when 50 trillion cells are happy and healthy and living in a body. That's the extreme health and joy of being on this planet. And I think that uh, NASA was right. Until we distribute the money in a different way so that there's no people at the bottom that are suffering, that they got the basics, then profit is it can be done. Uh, but then we have to recognize you can't keep extracting profit from the earth because there are resources and some of them uh, are not replaced. So there's a new lesson in economy, a new lesson in working with a population to make sure that the lower population is very happy. Why? If they're happy, then the upper population is going to do very well as well. But if you short the bottom, then you have a very weak foundation and a civilization, and that's what I think we're facing right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Fred, please continue, Fred. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I, uh, I, I was only going to say that it is almost as if the global body, uh, which is nature and human nature, the forgotten love story between nature and human nature, as if the global body is emerging from a kind of amnesia. So, you know, when you emerge from amnesia, the whole body doesn't suddenly wake up. I mean, it's like still the, the legs and maybe the arms are numb, part of the fingers are starting to feel things, but it's all really a little bit chaotic and disorganized and disjointed. This dance is totally, you know, loony at this moment. One, one country is doing ballet, another is doing jazz, another is doing hip-hop, another is doing waltz. And nobody's got this cohesive, coherent rhythm yet for this overall dance that we all need to understand that both of you and Irvin have been talking about. So I just wanted to make that point about the fact that also community, because for some people, you know, I'm based here in Germany, the word community can still hearken to a Darwinian time when that was about, you know, certain risings of Third Reich mentalities, and that was also a community. So it seems that it really is fundamental, as, as you're all saying, to first establish the fact that Darwinian thinking is out this is not the way to foster community. Community has to be based on coherence, which 
thinks my God is a natural state of harmony and loving energy. So because I was even going to worry uh, about, uh uh-oh, if we go back to community, well, who's to say that community will have everybody's best interests at heart? But based on the new paradigm and this understanding, the inherent values of coherence are predicated on love. And so maybe we can really relax into creating this new community. Fred, please continue now. So Chinese believe in community, small, big community, and a different systemic understanding of community. That the, the, uh, the family is the, uh, like the cellular, uh, unit of the bigger family, which is the, the nation. And so, and then it goes, uh, in the great learning that there is everything under heaven and earth. That means all things of family. And so the concept of community and family is a systemic understanding one that, and in the old days, Government official are called father and mother government official. So it's paternal. So the relationship between the system is paternal. It's a different kind of love. Okay. It's like, I will give you freedom when you can get freedom. And so the Chinese system is paternal throughout the whole system. And government officials called father and mother officials. That means that in the big family, they are the elders. They are the family. They are the, the parents. And like maybe their senior is the grandparents and great-grandparents. So it is paternal because it is family. And you have an attitude of family. And you know, family is about love. And of course, uh, it's distorted because love in Chinese has two words. Love and then emotions or sentiments or relationship. And so often people misunderstand love and relational emotions. Two words, right? And behind it, you saw you have big love, which is algalpe. Not much refer in China. It's pretty much a Greek concept. So I suppose somebody there... Um, it's taking a Greek concept and wrote it down. We do use it, but that's not often used. So back to the, the thing about the body. And so, um, first is a systemic understanding that everything is a body, is a community. And they have to find congruency within that community. And that paternal love, which is the purest love, is the foundation of those bodies. The second, uh, concept about body is how our body is built physically. Uh, they're different layers. And the Chinese talk about the creation of the humans from consciousness. And so the first, uh, it is the energy uh, of the cosmos that come. And it manifests into giving us the gift of virtue, what we need to survive and flourish. That is our nature. So a dog has a dog nature and a human has a human nature. And this is the gift of the cosmos. Then the energy of the earth and which is the, the mother starts moving. And then the evolutionary energy called sun 
enters into the into the play. These three energy then give us the soul, and there's three souls. Origin of consciousness: one comes from the cosmos, another comes from the earth, which is existence or the information of all existence of creation, or collective karma, and then your individual consciousness or individuated consciousness, which is your personal individuated karma. This three energy comes together and become your individuated soul, and from there it created seven material operating energy that accumulated to respond to the soul in the material world. Seven, seven. Now I'm going to go into it, but there are many of those are emotions, and so and including fears of, and they becomes the motivation driving force of creativity. And then it creates the individual mind, individuated mind. From that individual mind, creates the body, and then you start creating the sixth level of consciousness, which is your receptor and the consciousness attached to your receptor information. And from that, your desire start driving your will, and then with your will, will you start having a direction and thoughts. And with the thoughts and and formulating your belief system and so forth, you start creating the world. And that projection how it works. However, the whole idea about is develop wisdom in life. And there is two、uh, words in the wisdom. One is the wisdom of material material reality. Another is the wisdom of the non-material reality. Called Zi Hui, two words, and the non-material wisdom can achieve through stillness. That is through going from the sixth level of, or what we call iceberg, Western called tip of the iceberg, back down into the seventh level, which is the operating system, which we call the subconscious, to the unconscious, which the Freud called id, which is called the eighth level of consciousness. In the eighth level consciousness, it is connected to the three souls, to the three souls that is there. And so, what we do is there are different layer, layer. and this is related、uh, from how we see the world, which is a belief system. And、uh, in Buddhism, it calls the opening of the five level of eyes. So the first level eyes is called the physical eye. Well, that is the sixth level. The seventh level eye is you can now see energy. They call the third eye. You can interpret, understand, and sense and read energy, called the energetic eye or the the heavenly eye. The next level of eye becomes your wisdom eye. That is when you see the rhythm behind, the operating system, the rules behind what's really happening. In essence, it's called Hui. This is the second work in wisdom. You must achieve that eye to use that eye to see how the world works. Then you have wisdom of life. Beyond that, you move into the fourth eye, which is the Tao eye. This is all methodology. This is the Tao eye. They call the method eye, the way eye. And finally,、uh, and that is the the Tao, the evolutionary energy, and you can truly 
understand and create from there. And finally, you have the Buddha eye, which is the, the net, the consciousness net, uh, the wuji, or whatever we want to call it, God eye, whatever. It does not have an energy. It is the net. It is the field. So five levels eyes also related to our five levels of body. So as we go quiet and we go in more and more, back to the source, is that actually the Big Bang is created by one thought. And all thoughts are created that one thought. As you quiet yourself and going back with no thought, thoughts are like quantum splashing very fast. Buddha says, in a snap of finger, 300 trillion thoughts has happened. That's as fast as that. So we don't catch every thought. We don't even catch a fraction of the thought. And yet our thoughts are filling our mind. So as we quiet and quiet and quiet, you can imagine how much stillness you need to return to the source to catch that. Because for that one thought is the beginning of the projection into many, 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 many thoughts and confusion. And it is the cleaning up of all those things that you return to the source and you did the work of the source in the material world, which is cleaning up the shit and elevating the energy. <laughs> and this is just an, a, 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 let's say, it's just a appearance of form, but it's our interpretation. And so it is through this process we develop in different operating systems. So you think about today, we use a lot of our left brain, right? The intellectual understanding. It distorted everything. So we all know that when we're meditating, the left brain and right brain neural connectors are strengthened. Actually, what we should do in this whole process, in alignment, is your intuitive information comes in, you create it into an intuitive knowing, and then through that is Convert it to your left brain for work called intellectual understanding. In other words, intellectual knowing. And then you have an experience embedded. Actually, finally, you have a set of neural system called habits. Except our habit is against misaligned. Once we get into a new operating system within the seventh level of consciousness and rewire ourselves, now we have an alignment and body and that is a journey we need to constantly do until we totally have coherence. Everything is coherency. When we have no coherency, we have resistance, we have stress. So stress is a good foundation, resistance is a good foundation of knowing that we are incoherent with our soul in our action. Beautifully So this is how the body works. A simple little thing called a body. <laughs> My goodness, are we in our infancy, aren't we, Bruce, <laughs> of understanding? The hard part here uh, <laughs> is that the habit mind comes in, and the problem is, is that we pick up the habits in our conventional world by observing other people and downloading their habits. This is what a child's development is like in the first seven years. The program of how to be a member of a family, how to be a member of a community, 
is strictly downloaded in, in a state of actually not even being conscious in theta, which is a, a, a hypnosis state of the brain. It's just below consciousness. A child is in theta predominantly for the first seven years. And I go, so why is it relevant? And I go, well, if the habits that come in are not in harmony with the planet, and then the person is running their life, it turns out about 95% is coming from the programs in the habit mind. Then all of a sudden you see why everything goes off on a screwed pathway is because we got screwed up with the first habits we got in. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, there's a wonderful study on infants, and they do a little puppet show with uh, three different pieces that uh, one of the pieces wants to go up a hill and and it's like a circle and it keeps going up and then falling down, going up, and then it gets up to the top and goes. Uh, and so they see that first. And then they bring in a, a second character. Uh, the second character is a square. And uh, when the ball is trying to go up the hill, the square is pushing it back down the hill. Uh, and then the third character comes in and it's a triangle. And the triangle pushes the ball to help it get up the hill. At the end of the play of this, it's like a puppet show. The, the infants are watching this. They give the infant a tray with a circle, a square, and a triangle and see which one the, the kid, the infant will pick up. The infant always picks up the triangle, the one that is helping the circle get up. It does not pick up the square at all. So even at that point of infancy, an infant can see that there was a helper and there was a problem creator. And even so, uh, the baby has no real other programming than to watch this and will always pick the helper out uh, uh, of the pieces when given a choice. Uh, and I say, why is it relevant? I say, we were born with this innate ability to be in harmony and help and work and support and love and then we get programmed out of it in the first seven years by observing parents who are not behaving in the best way, community, and we download those behaviors in a state of hypnosis. And then 95% of our life comes from those downloaded programs. Uh, and the, the bigger problem, and this is the big problem, is that we play subconscious programs when the conscious mind is thinking. I go, what do you mean? Well, the conscious mind's creator. I go, yeah, but it can think. And I said, well, when it's thinking, it's inside. A thought is inside. So conscious mind is not looking out. It's looking in when it's thinking. But let's say you're driving the car, <laughs> and all of a sudden you have a thought. And I said, well, your conscious mind's not looking out the window anymore. I go, oh, my God, uh, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble here. And I go, no, the, sub the subconscious mind is called autopilot. When the conscious mind is busy, the subconscious mind knows how to drive the car. The subconscious mind knows how to walk. The subconscious mind knows how to do the habits that we have learned. So we don't have to think about it. So when thinking is going in, conscious mind is not looking at the world. Subconscious takes over autopilot to make sure we don't crash the car. And I go, so why is it relevant? Because the conscious mind does not see the behavior of the subconscious mind because the conscious mind's not paying attention. And I go, so what? And then comes the big problem of our world. Over 60% of the downloaded programs that go into the subconscious are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting beliefs that we acquire from family and community. So I say, when we're not paying attention, we're playing these negative programs a lot 
And all we see in the conscious mind pays attention goes, it's not working. And then blame everything outside because the conscious mind, I wouldn't do this. But I say, yeah, but the conscious mind's not you, is not driving the machine. It's the subconscious mind that's working 95%. And I say, so what's the relevance? I say, so why are we playing the subconscious? This is a cool conclusion. Why are we playing the subconscious programs? Because conscious mind is thinking. I said, what if conscious mind stays mindful? The Buddhist term, mindful. What if it stays mindful? I said, oh, it stops thinking. It stays in the present moment. I go, what, what would that mean? And I go, this is the difference between <clears throat> regular life and then falling in love and experiencing a honeymoon. I said, what's a honeymoon? I said, a honeymoon is like heaven on earth. I go, yeah, but life every day was blah, 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 blah. And then I meet this person, fall in love. 24 hours later, my life is, oh, life is beautiful. I'm having a wonderful life experience. I go, you had blah, blah, blah. And then 24 hours later, you got heaven on earth. I go, and here's what the whole thing was. It's the first time we stay mindful. Being in love like that keeps us mindful. Stay in the present moment. You've been looking for this person your whole life. This is not time to think. This is time to be here. And I say, so what's the result? That we stop thinking. And the moment we stop thinking, then the wishes and desires of the conscious mind manifest. And all of a sudden, blah, 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 turns into heaven on earth. And I go, that's called the honeymoon. And I go, what is the honeymoon that is so different than everything else? I go, it's coming from the conscious mind. It's not coming from the subconscious program. The first time in people's lives where they actually are then become the full creator of what the, the wishes and desires that are uh, the conscious mind's direction. First time, really, for a lot of people. And I go, that heaven on earth was there all the time. I say, what was wrong? I say, the programs we got passed down from society, family, and community that are disempowering is what we operate on a day-by-day basis. You stop playing the program, and the world changes instantly, instantly into another world of creation. We're the creator. Question is, are you creating from conscious mind, wishes, and desires? No. 95% we're creating from subconscious mind, programs, habits. And and this is the wake-up call. That stop looking at the world and blaming the world for things that are not good in your life and start recognizing we have a responsibility. We are creators. We have to own the creation. If it's a bad creation and we own it, that means we have an opportunity to change it. If it's a bad creation, we say I'm a victim. That means I can't do anything about it. I go, well, that's not true for a creator. <laughs> and Fred, you are <laughs> the example of supreme creator of what you created in this world. And other people have an opportunity to help support that if they get out of the habit programs that were downloaded in the seven years. The Jesuits, the Catholic order, the Jesuits have told their followers for 400 years they said, give me a child until it is seven, and I will show you the man. I go, what does that mean? The programming is seven years, and 95% of your life comes from the program. So if I can control the program, I control 95% of your life. And this has not been lost on the leadership of this planet. And when you see an infant who can barely walk carrying an iPad, 
You're saying some programming, friends. <laughs> I think we need to fall in love with ourselves, with our planet, and we will do this. I, I just love the energy that you're saying. Listen, I, I think this is a beautiful jumping off point to conclude on. I want to ask you something, Bruce, because I've asked a couple of our guests from time to time, and it's sort of a light, a light note to end on. If you were a tourist ambassador for planet Earth and you had to um, sort of market the best of us to the cosmos, to other intelligent life in the cosmos, what would you say is our best attributes given all this chaos and run amok that's going on currently on the planet? How would you, um, what are our selling points? <laughs> I said, yeah. Humans have these qualities that, that are not present in any other form on this planet. And uh, these pro- these properties are our creative character. And that when we use our creative character in a very, you know, way supportive of a community, of each other, of ourselves. And I really want to go back to the point that you made, Allison, is that before you can experience love from somebody else, you have to have love for yourself. And I go, why? And the answer is this. If you don't love yourself and then someone else comes up and says, I love you, you would say, what's wrong with you? I know I'm not lovable. What's wrong with you? You know, and the point about this is very simple, is that 80 to 90 percent of people in workshops that I get involved with with uh, belief change, 80 to 90 percent means eight out of nine out of 10 people will not test positive for I love myself. And I go, if you don't love yourself, then you can't take love in. And automatically, you've just isolated yourself in a world uh, where all you're going to see is the trouble part because the love is not coming. The first thing we have to do is love yourself. And I say, why don't we love ourselves? I go, because as children, we were criticized. Not good enough. Not smart enough. Not beautiful. Not deserving. And I go, if the, those are the words that a child hears in the first seven years... That's when they're in a state of hypnosis. So whatever they heard now is a program without any work. The parent just says, you don't deserve that. And if they say that a number of times, the pattern, then that that child grows up and they're 50 years old, what was the function of the mind? Create coherence between the beliefs and the reality. If I have a belief I'm not deserving then my mind's job is to generate behavior to show I do not deserve. Because if I start getting things, it would conflict with the program. If I'm program not deserving and I don't get anything, that's like, yeah, I don't get anything. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's that's the, the program manifesting itself. And, and Fred and Irvin uh, only got to where they got to by taking that program of creativity and putting it in their hands out of the programming of a lot of other people. Now, of course, uh, all of us do have some very good programs that come in. I don't want to throw out all the programs. The good ones are good. And unfortunately, the other ones take away our power. And cleaning up the programming is the most important step to then creating from a very positive view of yourself versus from the criticized view of yourself. Uh, uh, and this is so, this is personal power. Uh, and if you give away the programming, which, you know, the Jesuit said, let me program your child. 
and and that child belongs to the church for the rest of its life. Why? What did they teach him in the first seven years? You know, and then the rest of it is no matter how much they don't like the church, they still belong to the church because that was a program. Yeah. And I think so we have to reemphasize the co from COVID perhaps to coherence, community, because there is a lot of good co-words that evoke a really good feeling. And we're so oriented towards the co-words that don't. Competition, C-O. So maybe we can shift our emphasis and rediscover the love for ourselves and other and the greater. What do you think, Fred? Yes? Allison, people don't yeah, want yeah. To well, the- actually, I want to share this little bit in response to, um, yes. uh, to Bruce afterward. Yeah. Okay. On this. Please, and then we'll conclude on that note. Go ahead, Fred. I'll, I'll, this is our this is our final commentary from you and Bruce for this. Oh well, let's go all night. Let's have an all nighter. <laughs> our listeners are ready. No. <laughs> go ahead, yeah. Fred. So please. so uh, great. So how do you reprogram? How do you reprogram yourself? So. Actually, first you have to understand uh, the system that we're operating. There's a stimuli from a material outside, and then you have a feeling. And feeling is both sensation and emotion. Then thought arises at the same time and reinforced into a loop. Then in your mind, you act on it. And then you act on it physically. And then you have a new experience, and therefore you have a new um, embodied knowing. And so this is the operating system and reinforcing. And so if your thought is wrong, uh, then you keep repeating and deepening that wiring. And this is the operating system without knowing is already uh, put into us. However, to come into using the same operating system, we need to reprogram the system. And that reprogramming uh, system is called the eightfolded path. And the eightfolded path is talking about the correct worldview, the correct speech, the correct, the correct, the correct. What is the correct means alignment. You, 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 uh, you awaken deeply into your consciousness and then you align to it and then you collaborate and then you recreate. And then the whole system starts recreating a correct operating system that this operating system put us because we have been Conditioned to have an incorrect understanding of reality and it's keep repeating itself. So we have a set of neural wiring, uh, which is how the physical works that are wide, not right. Now we're going to do a physical rewiring. So it should be wide, right to be coherent. It's called mindfulness. Mindfulness is just called correct thoughts. And so their correct worldview, their correct stillness, their correct, there's eight correct things that you need to correct. And when you correct it, you have an operating system that works in coherence. Absolutely. That is the whole Beautiful. secret of moving from where we are to the next place is to recognize, am I living the life I want or am I living the program that I was given? Uh, and and people don't know the programming. I'll tell you why. Because the programming started even before you were born. In the last trimester of pregnancy, 
you were responding to your mother's uh, world because her blood is nourishing the fetus, but her blood has all the emotional chemistry, all, you know, all the factors that coordinate her life in that world. And so when the blood goes in the fetus, the fetus experiences everything the mother is experiencing at that point. Uh, and if it's a pattern that repeats itself, then that downloads it even before you're born. So here's the point. You were programmed before you were born. You were programmed from zero to one, from one to two, uh, from two to three. I say, what was your program at zero? And you go, I don't know what the program was. I wasn't there. I go, that's the problem. What are, are the program? Because we were not there when the programs were going in. So I want to help before we close to say, I want to help you identify what the program is. Uh, and I say, how do I tell you that? And I say, 95% of your life is coming from the program. Your life is a printout of your behavioral programs. So you look at your life and here's how you look at it. The things that you like that come into your life, they come in because you have a program to acknowledge that. But the things you want and desire, but you struggle, you're working hard. You're putting a lot of effort. I'm going to make it work. I'm working hard. I'm going to make it work. (laughs) Why are you working so hard? And the answer is whatever that destination is, your program does not support it. And you're trying to work over the program, and that is a very difficult process because the program's running 95% of the day anyway. Uh, and so the point is, what are your programs? The stuff that comes in easy, it comes in easy because you have a program to let them in. And the things you really want, but you have to struggle to get there, it's not because the universe won't give it to you. It's because your own program won't acknowledge it. And that's how you can identify what are the things I want to change. I go look at your life. Where are you struggling? That's not because of the universe. Universe is not making you struggle. It's your own unconscious programs that are the cause of that. And that gives us a start to say, well, then what do I want to change? I say, well, where are you struggling? Let's start by changing that program first. This is so beautiful. So both of you, uh, I'm just grateful. And I think our listeners must be grateful. I can feel that because this is the kind of stuff we're aching. We're hungry to hear and we don't hear enough of. So on this beautifully compelling note, we're going to conclude. I am Alison Golden with our hosts, Irvin Laszlo and Fred Sow. And today's wonderful guest, Bruce Lipton, inviting you to gift the book. Revisit this archive of inspiration to consider another way of living and perceiving. And join the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the ITEA Institute for much more uplift and upshift upcoming. Remember, the bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. It's a human thing that needs adjusting. So as we build a new paradigm for humankind, let's include human kindness. Thanks to our worldwide listeners for tuning in, staying attuned, and helping Planet We to change its tune. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara, with theme music Chimera by Biba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sahl, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is 
Allison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet, broadcast live worldwide. Wishing you well-being till we talk again next week.